You ever try to do a puzzle when you didn't have the picture to look at? You have the pieces of the puzzle, but you don't have the box anymore, and you, you kept the pieces in a Ziploc bag, and you dump them out and sort them out, try to figure it out and see how they connect, but you really need the big picture to see, to get a sense of the individual pieces. And that's what we're doing in the story series, uh, to see how the puzzle fits together. And the story is not a replacement for your Bible. It is a tool to use alongside your Bible. Every week, we're asking you to read one chapter. This past week, you're to read chapter two. How many of you read chapter two? Oh, great. This is great. Next week's chapter three. Jared's going to be preaching next week on the story of Joseph. Uh, Jared's doing Joseph because he's young. I'm doing Abraham because... Anyway, last week was foundational. We saw the kind of God we have, an amazing creation. We saw what kind of people we humans are. We have capacity for amazing goodness and also some uh, amazing badness. We saw the vision that God has for us, God with us in complete harmony in a perfect world. But that vision was destroyed when people decided to go their own way and God begins the process of restoring that perfect relationship in that perfect world. So God's plan, first of all, was to destroy everything. Let's just start over with Noah, with a good guy. But after Noah gets off the ark, he gets drunk, he gets naked, he passes out, and that's the best the earth has. And God's teaching us in the Noah story that starting over is not going to solve our most basic problem. So chapter 2 begins with a new plan. It begins in Genesis 12. And God says, I'm going to take one couple and form a nation. And that nation will be the vehicle to work my plan. And that couple is Abram and Sarai. Their names are later changed to Abraham and Sarah. And that nation will be the Jews, or the Israelites. So turn to page 13. It's the start of chapter 2. And we'll read this together. We'll have it on the screen as well. The Lord said, Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. First thing I notice is the pronouns, especially the pronoun I. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. I, I, I. God is determined. He says, I am going to do this. I am going to make this work. We often make these people in the Bible out to be some great Bible heroes. And in a sense, they are. But the only reason they're heroes is because of what God is doing. Abraham's a nobody till God gets a hold of him. Now, Abraham comes from a prosperous city. He's a successful. He's got servants, material possessions. He could spend the rest of his life on a cruise boat. He has this wife, Sarah. She's 65, and yet she was quite attractive. Pharaoh wanted to marry her because she was so beautiful. Later, another king wanted her. Her name means princess, which makes me think that she was a little high maintenance, a little hard to live with. If you meet a girl and she has a shirt that says princess, you want to run. When I was, when I was growing up, I was taught that there was two kinds of girls, two kinds of women, Ginger and Marianne. And Sarah was Ginger. She's beautiful, she's older, and she is childless. Abraham's 75. He's a pagan. He worshiped idols. Some would say, well, Abraham was a Jew. No, there were no Jews at this time. That's getting ahead of the story. This chapter, more than any other in the Bible, is concerned about age, old age. They are old. They're past the childbearing years. 
Vanderleaf last Tuesday night, I asked one of the ladies how she was doing, and she was over 90, and she said she's getting fat. And she said she weighs as much now as when she was pregnant, and she knows she's not pregnant. Well, that's a pretty safe bet. Same story here. And I can imagine God is sharing his plan with the angels in heaven, and he says, uh, I'm going to start a new nation with a couple. And the angels, oh, that's a cool idea. That's good. How about this couple over here? They're young, and they play tennis every other day. They're in their late 20s. They look healthy. Uh, that'd be a good candidate to, to start a nation. And God says, well, how about this couple over here? Oh, you mean the ones with the canes or the walkers? You know, Yeah, the ones with the walkers. We're going to build a nation through them. George Burns once said, you know you're old when everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. Well, the childbearing part of Sarah doesn't work. And God's going to build a nation through them. It's just amazing. So you look at this couple. They're old, unable to have children. And even though choosing them does not make sense, there must be something that God sees in them. And as you read through this chapter, that really surfaces. The thing that should jump out is Abraham's story is a story of faith. When I read this chapter, I highlighted all the times Abraham showed faith or belief or just obeyed without asking questions. There's a lot of highlights in this chapter because that's his hallmark. God's first word to Abraham in this chapter is go. Go from your country. Leave your home. Leave your people in your father's household. Leave your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and friends and your buddies at the coffee shop. Leave them all. Go to land. I'll show you. Now, I don't know about you, but at the age of 75, I don't plan on going anywhere. At 75... You paid off a mortgage. You finally paid off the school loans, hopefully. At 75, you got the Escalade with the TVs and the headrests, and you're all set. Your life's in order. I mean, everything you ever wanted. You got the nice house. Your wife's still good looking. And don't interrupt me. I don't want to start over. God says go. Abraham goes. Amazing. No questions, no objections. Top of page 14, Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith. Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God basically told Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. So faith is obeying God even when you don't know where you're going. I mean, how many of you, if God said, leave this country, would obey and, and go to Japan, for instance, like Les and Sarah have gone? I, most of us say, you know, I like the United States. I've been paying taxes. I'm getting Social Security. At least they say I'm going to get Social Security. And we have Obamacare, and I think I'll stay anyway. But uh, when Les called last week about Sarah's brother dying and... The struggle, he said, God's taken us to Japan in a month, and now Sarah brother, Sarah's brother dies. Um, what's going on? And you ever ask God, God, what the blank are you doing? Even when you're not sure where he's leading or what he's doing, you trust him. That's faith. Abraham's questions aren't all answered. He, he doesn't know how it's all going to work out, but he just obeys. He does what God tells him to do. If you trust God and let him work in you, he will do some significant things in your life. He will use you to make a difference, but you've got to trust him. Now, the dilemma in Abraham's story is, the plot here is that God promises that he'll be the father of a great nation, and yet Abraham and Sarah have no children. His wife's barren. They're old. I, I mean, nothing about this situation would give them hope. They do get a child eventually. You know how old they were when Isaac was born? Sarah was 90. Abraham was 100 years old. 
Romans 4, 18 through 21, the bottom of page 15 in the story, says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said of him, said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Faith is believing God against all hope. The great battle in your life, the great struggle in your life is not, will I try harder? Or can I make myself better? That's really not it. The great battle of your life is, will you believe God. So much of our story is going to come down to this very simple question, do I believe God? And how you answer that question potentially will radically change the outcome of your story. Do I really believe him? Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I, 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 No, that's not what I'm talking about. Do you trust God? In the bad times, when it seems like there's no hope, do you still trust him? With money, do you believe what God says about money. Maybe you struggle with finances and things are tight. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. God will provide. Do you believe that? Maybe you struggle with giving or generosity. I can't give to people. I can't give to God. I can't afford it. Uh, do you believe God when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do you really believe that? Is more blessed to give than to receive? I, I find faith one of the most exciting, adventurous, and yet difficult things to do. Do you worry? Do you trust God so you don't worry about every aspect of your life? You probably don't know this, but when we hired Jared, we originally uh, wanted to hire him to be our worrier because I worry a lot. And Teresa worries and the elders worry, so we hired him to do the worrying for us. He'd be our worrier warrior. We said, Jared, we're going to pay you 85000 a year just to take the worry off our backs. He says, 85000 How can you afford a sum like that? I, I know your church budget. You can't handle that kind of salary for me. He said, well, that's your first worry. He turned that down, but he did say he'd work with our teenagers. They'd be a lot less worry, and we pay him a whole lot less than that, too. So, Anyway, young people struggling with sexual temptation or maybe sexual sin in a relationship, and, and we can talk about how it's not healthy to engage in sex outside of marriage, but it really comes down to this question. Do I believe God knows what he's talking about when he talks about sex? Do I trust him? That he knows what's best for my life? Do I believe God knows more about sex than I do? Do I believe God knows more about money than I do? It, it really is the question. Faith is trusting God. And that what he says is true and good. Now here's something faith is not. It is not believing God will do what I want him to do. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing God will do what he said he will do. Some people say, well, I asked God to do this and he didn't do it. And he won't always do what you want. But he will do what he said he will do. There's a number of different options for how our story could be written, different potential titles for your story. One title might be, No Way. God says, here's what I want, and we say no. We respond in rebellion. Abraham could have said, I'm 75, I don't have children, I'm an old man and an old wife. No, I'm staying where I'm at. And for a lot of people, that's their story. No way. Another title could be Halfway. God says, well, God says, here's what I'm calling you, and we say, yes. But we have some exception clauses. We'll settle for a part-time faith. Faith is okay in some settings and in some arenas, 
but with this set of friends or at work or at school, uh, no faith. You know, it's okay at church, but not there. I'll give you some of my time. I'll give you some of my heart. I'll worship you, but my money, my time, my sex life, my fun, that's all mine. Halfway. Your title could be my way. I've committed to what God wants, but not necessarily how he wants to do it. I'll do it my way. And we see this with Sarah and Abraham. Ten years after his call, they still have no son. And for ten years, they've been hearing the same promise. Well, you're going to have children, but there's nothing. Now, Sarah's barren at 65, barren at 65. She'll be really barren at 75. And Abraham's now 85, still no child. So I don't blame them. You know, God's not doing very good here, so we'll help him out and we'll try it our way. And on page 16 is this transitional summary in italics, how they get a surrogate, Hagar. And in Genesis 16, 1 and 2, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. In other words, God needs a little help. Abram agrees, and Ishmael is born in human history has never been the same. You watch what's going on in Syria? All the animosity in the Middle East? You can thank Abraham and Sarah for that. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nation. Isaac, the father of the Jews. Isaac and Ishmael do not get along. Their mothers don't get along. And 4,000 years later, they still don't get along. And every American president thinks they can make it better. (laughs) Arabs and Jews in conflict, all because someone said, let's do it my way. Another possible title, then, of course, is God's Way. Here's the pen, God. You write the story. James Dobson tells about a time when his dad gave up his entire paycheck to give to a family uh, whose children were really in need of shoes and warm clothes. And his dad was a soft touch for anyone who had a financial lead. And Dobson says, we weren't rich, and inevitably we ran out of money a few days later. And so we prayed. Dobson says he can still hear his dad praying. Now, Lord, if you said, we, you said if we would honor you in our good times, that you'd be faithful to us in our times of need. And as you know, we could do, use a little help right now to get us through. And Dobson says, I can tell you honestly that a check for $1,200 came in the mail the day following that prayer. Now, I love those stories. People show faith and God provides. I love those stories. I also hate those stories because I, I don't know what to do with that. Should I give my next paycheck away because there's others who need it more than me? You know what? Sometimes, yeah, that's exactly what I should do. Give that whole paycheck away. Have you ever done anything that really took faith? Ever? The most meaningful and exciting, fulfilling times in my life is when I've taken a leap of faith and just trust God. Security and safety are boring. Faith and taking a risk is enlivening. When Abraham, what Abraham did was risky, leaving his home and everyone behind. And faith is risky. If you're not taking any risk, you're probably not living by faith. Adopting an orphan, that's risky. Costly. Scary. Go to Japan as a missionary, risky. Start getting involved in a church or a small group. Go to a Christian university. Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God We could say, without risk, it is impossible to please God. Every character in this story is asked to take a risk. Trust God. It is foundational. In Genesis 22, we have probably, well, certainly the greatest faith of, test of Abraham's faith. He's asked to sacrifice his son. Again, doesn't make sense. Abraham's 115 years old, has a teenager. 
When I was 40, I had a teenager and felt like I was 115 at times. But no offense to our teens. We love our teens. But you can be a test. Anyway, page 19, the middle. Genesis 22 says, Sometime God later tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I. He replied, here the faith again. Here am I. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Now, child sacrifices contrary to the nature of God. There's not one instance in the Bible of God requiring human sacrifice except here. In fact, in Deuteronomy, he forbids it and even destroys nations because of it. So this makes absolutely no sense at all. What's Abraham do? Early the next morning, he goes. Faith is trusting even when the story doesn't make sense. You got fired. Doesn't make sense. You lost your spouse or your brother. Doesn't make sense. You got cancer. Doesn't make sense. But you still trust him. God provides a lamb in place of Isaac. And the angel says, I know you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son, whom you love. Now, Mount Moriah is the same region where Jesus will be crucified 2,000 years later. And God says to Abraham, your son, your only son, whom you love. And God, two millennia later, will say the same words to himself. Your only son. This scarlet thread runs through the whole Bible. started last week in chapter 1, and it goes all along in God's story. Faith is hard for me. How many of you are control freaks? I'm a control freak. Yeah. How many of you are liars? Anyway. um, We have to have everything under control. I want to know where my next meal is come from. I don't even want to know where my next meal is coming from. I think I'm going to get that. I want to know where my meal is going to be 20 years from now. You know, I, I want that all to be taken care of. And, and trusting God, I'm just not sure I, I, I can do that. And I just, times, times I have to say, it's let go, trust God. Stop it. Stop trying to control everything. Quit doing it my way. Quit trying to direct my own life. You know, when God says go, let's go. When God says don't, let's don't. Do it his way. His way is not always the easy way, but it's the right way. And it's the best way. I read about some research at the University of California, Berkeley, did an experiment that involved the amoeba. Now, I forgot, amoeba is a single-cell organism, as I remember. And what they did, they put this amoeba into a perfectly stress-free environment. They gave this amoeba the ideal temperature, the optimal concentration of moisture, constant food supply, and he had an environment... I don't know if amoeba is he or she. I don't think so. Anyway, this amoeba had an environment to which it had to make no adjustments whatsoever. So you would guess that would be one happy little amoeba. Everything's good and easy. Uh, Whatever gives an amoeba ulcers or high blood pressure is gone. And the result? It died. And you will die if everything is easy in your life. Handed to you. We all need challenge. We all need risk. Comfort alone will kill us. When teachers want their students to grow, what do they give them? They give them problems. They give them tests. You know, if a train leaves St. Louis going three, going 50 miles an hour. Anyway, the life of Abraham and all the rest of these patriarchs and the rest of this chapter is one struggle after another. The struggles in your life are to build your faith. You need those. The rest of this chapter is how the faith is passed on. Many of you are faithful fathers and faithful mothers, and you want to pass on your faith to the next generation. But there's always struggles in that. We know, first of all, that Abraham and Sarah's issue is infertility and old age. Big barriers. The next generation, Isaac and Rebecca's issue, sibling rivalry. 
Twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob robs Esau of his birthright, and Esau hates his brother. To make matters worse, the parents play favorites. Mom loves Jacob. Dad loves Esau. This is not an all-American family. These are not moral giants, but the faith still carries on. Go to the third generation. Jacob and Rachel face issues of infertility and sibling rivalry. Two issues. And eventually, they have 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of the Hebrew nation. And what kind of kids are these 12 brothers? Genesis 38, Jude is involved in prostitution and incest. X-rated stuff. Joseph's a spoiled brat. The other brothers decide to kill him, and then they change their mind and decide to sell him instead. These are not great kids. These are not great families, but the faith carries on to the next generation. I read about some parents who were interviewed about their frustrations with parenting, and here's some of the comments they made. I've lost confidence in my ability to parent. I failed my children. I'm not the example I should be. I'm seeing my own bad habits and character traits in my children. Inability to relate to to my children. Dealing with guilt. I failed my sons. It's too late to go back and do it right. And you just hear the angst, the guilt, and the worry, and the stress. Parenting is a tough job. It's a complex job. And we want to pass on the faith and do the right thing. But what is the right thing? Am I too strict? Am I too permissive? At what point do I let them use a cell phone? You know, when, when can they make, wear, wear makeup? I hope that's for girls only. Uh, and then you get into the comparison game and your neighbor's kid is a piano prodigy and straight A's and headed for Carnegie Hall and your kid sticks pencils up his nose. And, and, and the focus in each one of these stories is how will the faith be passed from one generation to the next? As each generation has its challenges. And I want this Genesis account to give us hope. Things will not always go smoothly in your life. Your family may not be perfect, but God can still get the job done. That's the upper story. The lower story doesn't always look good. Sometimes it's messy. But God's still working. And each time, passing on the baton, it may be awkward. It's never easy or simple, but it happens. Getting the faith into the next generation is each time a pretty challenging and sometimes colorful account. But with all the problems, there's one overriding, one sustaining, controlling factor, and that is God. God sees to it that the faith is passed on in spite of the blunders. God is faithful. Do you really trust him? Let's pray. Father, this is um, one of the hardest things for me. We know you're faithful. We know you're good. We know you're all-powerful. We know all that. And yet we don't know it. And, And by our lives, there's times we just hold back and we go halfway or sometimes we even say no way. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us live trusting you, knowing that you are in control and you know what's best. We pray this in Jesus' name.